bum bum bottom 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 bum
uh, jury's still out on that one. <laughs> yeah. um, I, though I am super excited about Swamp Thing. Yeah, I would say. And the next Batman. Of the six, and Wonder Woman. Of the six titles that were released in the first week of 2021 from DC, half of them were really good. I think that the, I like those odds. Yeah. You I, know, yeah. anytime you pick up a new series with a new team, it's always a little bit of a gamble. And especially on our podcast, where we, we for the most part, are covering collected comics. Yeah. You know, so we have reviews. We have the sands of time. Just the fact that it's been collected into a single volume says, like, at least somebody liked it because it wouldn't be collected otherwise. Sure, but with Future State, I am hopeful. I'm hopeful about what's going on in Marvel Comics right now. King in Black is coming to an end. Eternals 1 just launched. I really enjoyed that first issue. The MCU is back this week with WandaVision. Finally, my body is ready. I mean, I like... Obviously, we all missed the MCU in 2020. So January, WandaVision, you know, a weekly show, nine episodes. I'm very excited about it. Two characters that I think uh, offer a lot of potential. And clearly, based on the subject of this episode, two characters that are close to our hearts. And even though we normally kick off the year with an ex-couple, and we are going to have an ex-couple, we're going to have four ex-couples over the course of January and February, we wanted to ride the wave of the excitement around WandaVision by covering one of our favorite comic book storylines, The Vision by Tom King and Gabriel Walta. And I'm sure a few of you out there are already going like, but Brad, this storyline is not about Vision and Wanda. It's about Vision and his android wife, Virginia. But my response to that is, is it though? Is it though? Is it? No. And as we get into it, we're, you know, we're going to talk about how Wanda is all over this book. Yeah. Actually, to, to uh, the detriment of Virginia, who yeah. is like, I've got sentience, but also I... I got baggage. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I just love this comic book so much. Um, but Lisa, like before we get into uh, the vision of it all, what is your relationship with these characters? Like when did you first encounter the vision or Wanda? And uh, how did you feel about them initially? Wanda, I had come across as a background character in other comics. Yeah. I'd also read The Children's Crusade. Oh, yeah. Which has Wiccan and Speed, which are their children. But from those minor introductions, I never felt particularly compelled to seek out Scarlet Witch stories because of my uh, well-documented anti-magics bias. Yep, yep, yep. You do not like magic characters, uh, but it's not magic, Lisa. It is hex powers. Vision first made a huge impact on me in the MCU at the end of Age of Ultron. It's a great introduction when he lifts Mjolnir. He had my heart even before that. For me, when I think of the introduction of Vision, I think of him looking out the window at humanity um, and just being overwhelmed with compassion, with all of his knowledge and capability, really going like, look how beautiful and fragile human beings are. I am called to observe them, protect them, admire them. Yeah, the, I just The love MCU that. Ultron sees the possibilities of humanity and is like, no. And the vision sees the possibilities of humanity and says, maybe? He says, as long as they can possibly be sustained. Because he sees Ultron 
and himself, and he goes, we're going to be around for a very long time. We are very strong. He looks at humanity and goes like, this is a flicker that is going to go out, and I want to cherish it for as long as possible. But then again, he was born yesterday. Yeah, right? I mean, that scene at the end of Age of Ultron, I honestly think is one of the best scenes of the MCU where he says, you know, there is grace in their failings. Mm-hmm. And because failure is such a core theme to Marvel comics, like hu- like humans and their heroes, they struggle, they fail, they fail again, they fail better. Like that's what Marvel comics is all about. And I think the vision... Um, idolizing that validates humanity's struggle and gives us permission to aspire and that in that aspiration is something truly noble. The vision of the MCU admiring humanity is this tremendously hopeful thing, but the vision in Walton King's The Vision, that's actually his fatal flaw. Mm. But we're not ready to talk about that yet because I have to ask you, Brad, where did you first encounter the vision? Honestly, I'm not sure. You know, he was never a character I ever really gravitated towards. I don't think I ever gave him much of a thought until after Brian Michael Bendis' Avengers Disassembled storyline where this enraged She-Hulk, under the influence of the Scarlet Witch, tears the vision apart and his new rebooted Iron Lad body joins up with the Young Avengers. Man, I really loved the Young Avengers until about the time we read The Children's Crusade, because I don't like The Children's (laughs) Crusade at all. Rest in peace to that book club. Uh, But honestly, like you, I really didn't relate to this character until this miniseries. King and Walta's comic just struck a nerve, like a sad (laughs) ass nerve. And this vision's complicated existence infected my mind. From here, I've basically followed the dude wherever And I've been a big fan of his tenure on Uncanny Avengers, as well as Avengers AI, all new, all different Avengers. I now see him as I do Spock or Data on Star Trek. He's this sentient outsider trying to understand this horrible yet fascinating wreck that is humanity. And I think he's a brilliant addition to a roster of weirdos like the Avengers. So how did this character come to be? Uh, The Vision is a three-way creation between Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, and John Buscema. The character first appeared in the October 1968 issue of The Avengers. Editor Stan and writer Roy were eager to introduce a new member to the team. Roy wanted to resurrect the Golden Age Vision, who was this ghostly alien cop from the Smoke World dimension created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, the geniuses behind Captain America. Stan Lee, however, was eager to introduce an artificial life form, an android. Roy Thomas compromised by creating an android version of the classic Vision. Although, where the first Vision was this green-skinned creature, Roy Thomas didn't want anyone with that skin tone because of the Incredible Hulk. And he didn't want a blue character because of the Atlanteans. So he decided, let's go with an all-white character. But, sigh, printers were simply not good enough to achieve an all-white character, so red became the color of the vision. 
It's hilarious to me how many of the design decisions of our favorite characters comes down to the limitations of the technology. Yeah. Hence the disproportionate number of redheads in the MCU with people going like, Mary Jane has to be a redhead. Like, uh, does like, I I would say like 50% of Marvel female characters are redheads. It's bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so the Vision, he's another ginger and his origin is delightfully bizarre. Angry Bad Robot Ultron, creation of Hank Pym, a.k.a. Ant-Man, a.k.a. Giant-Man, constructs a thensethoid. Man, I cannot say this <laughs> we've word. Done, we've done many takes. I'm just going to call him a robo-dude, Lisa. Sounds good. He constructs a robo-dude to attack the Avengers, specifically Hank and his girlfriend Janet, a.k.a. the Wasp. Man, there's a lot of AKAs. Uh, And she is the first to encounter the artificial creature, referring to him as an unearthly inhuman vision. The Avengers ultimately convince this robo-dude that they are the good guys and Ultron is the bad guy. And the Vision agrees, adopting Janet's hurtful words as his moniker. Making this robo-dude even a little weirder is the fact that his intelligence and sentience derives from the brain patterns of Avengers superhero Wonder Man, who at the time was dead. But like all superheroes, would eventually return to life. Uh, the little, this little trick is important, especially within the context of Tom King's miniseries, but we'll get to that in the main discourse. Shortly after joining the team, the Vision meets the Scarlet Witch, and the two become romantically linked. In an interview with Back Issue Magazine, Roy Thomas explains why these two paired together so well. Lisa, get this. Here's what he says. I felt that a romance of some sort would help the character development in the Avengers, and the Vision was a prime candidate because he appeared only in that mag, as did Wanda for that matter. Ooh, interesting. So they became a pair for just such practical considerations. It would also, I felt, add to the development I was doing on the Vision attempting to become a human. So the Vision and the Scarlet Witch are only a couple because they existed in the Avengers and nowhere else in the Marvel Universe. It was literally a romance of convenience. Just like his skin color being red, right? You know, practicality leads to decades of continuity. Mm -hmm. The Vision and the Scarlet Witch eventually marry, and thanks to Wanda's weird hex powers, have a pair of twins, Thomas and William, basically made from nothing but Wanda's imagination. Well, not really. This is why I love comics and the constant altering of canon. Turns out the twins were actually the fragments of Mephisto, Marvel's Satan character who just before the birth of the twins had been broken apart by Franklin Richards, the son of the Fantastic Four's Reed and Sue Richards. When Mephisto reformed, he reabsorbed the souls of William and Thomas. The Scarlet Witch goes crazy for a little bit, but she recovers and the Vision and her break up. Wonder Man comes back to life and the Scarlet Witch starts dating him. After all, he's similar to the Vision because the Vision shares his brain patterns. Gross. Yeah. And oh yeah, during all this... The Vision is dismantled by these governmental agents working for the evil time traveler Immortus. Hank Pym puts Humpty Dumpty back together again, but Wonder Man now refuses to allow his brain patterns to be used, so the Vision's personality is traumatically altered, and he starts to behave like a robot. And it's during this point in time where he starts to dress like he was always meant to dress, all in white. The printers have finally caught up to the story. 
Huzzah! And this is why the character of the Vision is starkly white to this very day. Yeah, I'm sorry, Roy Thomas, but the red and green got its hooks into the audience. And so the, the white costume hung around for a little while, but eventually the fans wanted that Christmas tree color scheme. But just to wrap up all this madness and bring us to the point in time where this miniseries by Tom King and Gabriel Walta starts... Tony Stark has recently rebuilt the Vision, and he served on both the Avengers AI team as well as the all-new, all-different Avengers. He and Scarlet Witch are not on good terms, and she's working super hard to redeem herself after the events of Avengers Disassembled and House of M when she muttered the disastrous spell, no more mutants. See, magics. Yeah. They can't be trusted. I mean, it's... Like, it's complicated. We don't have time to get into the Scarlet Witch's abilities right now. But one last thing, her kids, right? Their kids. Uh, yes, they formed from the fragments of Mephisto's soul, but then they're resurrected in the bodies of young Avengers Wiccan and Speed. But due to weird comic book timelines, you know, like how much time has actually passed between the events of that Avengers storyline and the Young Avengers storyline? Hard to say. We don't know if those kids were born with Wanda's twins' souls or whether those kids had their souls destroyed and replaced by Wanda's twins' souls. Does that make any sense? No, not really. But this is like what Wikipedia has to say. I had to go through so many Wikipedia entries to try to like figure out what the consensus is. And the reality is this is not really consensus, but Children's Crusade issue number six in that comic, Scarlet Witch confirms that Billy and Tommy, Wiccan and Speed, are the genetic resurrections of her sons. When Wanda is discussing her life with a psychiatrist, she again confirms that Billy and Tommy are the resurrected souls of her kids. However, seeing as they are already teenagers, Wanda doesn't know if they were normal kids before her sons' souls took over their bodies, effectively killing whoever they were before, or whether the spirits went back in time to be born and raised by different parents. Um, oh, no. Yeah, so obviously I love all of this. Vision and Scarlet Witch madness, but it is truly madness. Uh, his character history is incredibly strange, and I'm still trying to figure it all out. I would love to do a proper deep dive into his continuity, and now that we have re-upped our Marvel Unlimited app, maybe I'll do just that and try to like make my own timeline I of love these that. kids and Vision and Wanda. But like, just researching this episode gave me such a headache, and I hope what I've just said makes any sense whatsoever. I have no idea. I think I kind of followed okay. it. You did a great job. Uh, but before we get into the content of this week's episode, Selection of the Vision by Walta and King, we got to discuss our love guru. As you should know, Lisa and I are not experts. We've got more than a decade of marriage together, but we need to turn to some proper scholars to help us deal with these characters this week. They need help. Mm -hmm. Lisa, who's our guru, and how are they going to help us this week? 
I don't know if she's a proper scholar, but she is a personal favorite of mine for our very special one-off episode of the Vision Family of Arlington, Virginia. I thought we would turn to Gretchen Rubin. Yeah. It was actually reading her books back in 2018 that inspired this cockamamie idea for a podcast. Well, one of the many inspirations. <laughs> I can't remember what spurred me to read her 2009 book, The Happiness Project. Maybe an interview or maybe it was a recommendation for, from someone, but I tore right through it and then through two more books of hers, Better Than Before and The Four Tendencies. As an individual, she inspires me because she is someone who had a promising and successful career and chanced it all by quitting her day job and following her bliss, just like me. Well, kind of. <laughs> I took a way more flexible day job so that I could quietly stock my bliss. She had a law degree from Yale and was clerking for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when she decided to leave the justice system behind and throw all of her creative energy into becoming a successful writer. The way she tells it, she was at a colleague's house and she noticed some pretty intense law books sitting out and she made a comment like, wow, you're bringing your work home with you. What are you working on? And her colleague was like, no, Gretchen. That's what I read for fun. <laughs> that was the light bulb moment where she began to wonder, like, do I really love the law? Is this what I read for fun? Oh, man, I totally get that. Yeah, me too. As a writer, she inspires me because she writes books on habits, happiness, and human nature. She is not an expert expert. She doesn't have a PhD in psychology next to her law degree, but is, like myself, an enthusiast who enjoys to do research for funsies. <laughs> She'll read books, studies, and whatnot, and then tries to apply what she's learned to her own life and push those lessons onto her husband and two daughters as well. Sound like anyone? <laughs> she is practical, not overly woo or spiritual, and she always gives a few options when solving a happiness problem. She's not a one-size-fits-all, one-solution-fix-all type of guru. She encourages long-term tinkering on a better life rather than sweeping changes. Mm. She also has a weekly podcast with her sister Elizabeth, who is a television writer in LA called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where they discuss all things happiness every week. I'm totally saving Gretchen Rubin for another couple down the line, but since we're only spending one episode with the visions, I couldn't resist giving you guys a little taste of Gretch. That, yeah. that sounds really nasty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if Vision, Virginia, Viv, and Vin don't need a little happiness boost, I don't know who does. Say that five times fast. Vision, Vision and Virginia, Vin. <laughs> Synthesoid. I said it. I thought I would take a chapter from the first book of hers I read. Here's the full title. Buckle up. It's a long one. The Happiness Project, or why I spent a year trying to sing in the morning, clean my closets, fight right, read Aristotle, and generally have more fun. I love it. Me too. This book is part self-help, part memoir, really. She took a year of her life to focus on the different aspects of her existence that she felt with a little focused attention could bring her more happiness. Each chapter represents a month and an area of focus. January is vitality, February is marriage, March is work, April is parenthood, and so on. And then did research on those topics and made four or five resolutions to maintain throughout that month and then for the rest of the remaining year. 
12 months, total solutions. You can buy the book and do the math on that one. How did she keep track of her progress? With a spreadsheet, of course. I love this lady. I could never be her, but I wish I could. You love to start a spreadsheet. I hate to finish anything, to tell you the truth. We're going to focus on just chapter two, February, Remember Love, Marriage. I was torn between February and April because April is parenthood, but Gretchen's daughters were still little kiddos in 2009. And also, B and I are not parents, nor do we desire or plan to be. So Vin and Viv, I'm sorry, you're on your own. I know it works out terribly for you. Insert sad trombone (laughs) sound effect. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh. Another thing about the Happiness Project, she was not allowed to change the behavior of other people during her Happiness Mm. Project. Oh, interesting. I think that is so key. So many times when I'm in a bad mood, I suggest ways for Brad to change his behavior (laughs) to improve my mood. Yeah, and vice versa. Yeah, and there are totally areas where I can do the heavy lifting myself. I'm a big girl. Gretchen points out that you can't really change anybody else's behavior anyway. She was working on her behavior to improve her happiness, not other people's behavior to improve her happiness or their happiness for that matter. So her work on her marriage was entirely her own for the month of February. She didn't even tell her husband, Jamie, what her resolutions were. But she also knew that making choices that would, in some cases, make Jamie happier in the short term would make them both happier in the long term. To be clear, Gretchen and Jamie were not in a troubled marriage when she was writing this book. Nor are they now. I don't think. I don't know. I don't actually know her. I just pretend (laughs) that I do. But as B and I know firsthand, every marriage could use a little tweak here and there. So here are the resolutions that Gretchen made. Quit nagging. Don't expect praise or appreciation. Fight right by improving their argument style. No dumping or emotional venting and give proofs of love, like little monuments to their love story. Mm. Once she established her resolutions, she came up with a well-researched plan for each resolution. So example for nagging. She decided to find ways to suggest tasks without asking, like leaving an envelope by the door if it needs to be mailed, (laughs) limiting herself to one-word reminders, like as you're walking out the door, just say, like, camera, you know, if don't forget the camera. Um, remember that things don't have to be done on her schedule. Just because she doesn't want it done, it doesn't mean it's an emergency. She stopped giving it's for your own good advice. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, you're going out. You should probably take a sweater. Like, oh, Jamie's a grown yeah, man. Yeah, 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 cool. You should know. I like that, too. And, of course, she can always just do the task herself, especially if it was a task that was her idea. Like, One year she decided that instead of sending Christmas cards, they'd send Valentine's Day cards. Mm. And he didn't care one way or another, but for some reason she made it like a family project. So that year she just did it herself and they were both happier for it. Our marriage, however, is different than Gretchen and Jamie's. So if we did a happiness project, our marriage resolutions would be different. So Brad, I want you to choose one marriage resolution for yourself (sighs) that you would make in your happiness project. Remember, it can't, involve you suggesting that I change my behavior. Okay. And what your plan might look like. Okay. And I'm going to do the same thing. I should probably go first since it was my idea. I like that. But uh, I have nothing on deck. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, um, okay. Well, I mean, I, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I do have something. I do have something, or at least something that just jumped to my mind as you were speaking. Um, Is it a resolution 
that I have to change about myself, like internally? Or could it be like a task that I should do? It can be a task. So we have this couch in our living room Ah. that is destroying not only our posture, but uh, sometimes our good times, our mood. And it's sort of like a uh, albatross around our neck. And I've been meaning to get rid of it, haul it to the dump for a long time. And I mean like a long time, like the entire pandemic. And I think if I were to actually make a resolution to get rid of it, say, by maybe not this weekend, but the weekend after, that would improve the happiness between us. Oh, I I love that. I mean, we've totally argued about that couch. I mean, we argued about that couch this weekend. <laughs> we did. And we've seen how just improving one thing in our lives like our horrible internet connection, improves our lives and our moods immediately. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that would, I would have to ask uh, Mrs. Rubin herself um, if that technically counts because it has, like her behaviors have to last to the end of the year. Well, you said this counts. You said a task could count. So what do you, what is like (laughs) a thought process? Because you knew, you've known for a while that we both want to get rid of this couch. Well, there's a lot of things like I could start to address. So rather than um, going like, yeah, yeah, I'll take care of that couch. I'll take care of, uh, well, we also need to get a bed. You know, there's lots of little things that we've been meaning to do, but like our Wi-Fi, we just never, we just kept pushing it away. We kept pushing it away. And so maybe there's a task where we could, I could put a chart together or, you know, like these are the things that we've been talking about a long time. It's time to execute on doing some change in regard to those things. Yeah. So it's like a proactivity resolution. Yeah. And most of it has to do with uh, hauling stuff to the dub. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But now now it's your turn. I did mine. That was really easy. Not as hard as you thought it was going to be. So Lisa, uh, you've had some time to do it. What's what's the thing you're going to resolve? My thing feels less tangible. But um, for me, I feel like in our marriage, I tend to bogart all emotions. So you'll be like, oh, I'm having a little off day today. And then I go like, well, you're having an off day. Well, I'm having an off day. And then before you know it, we've both spiraled into this negative space where I just added to the inertia. (laughs) So I think that part of my plan could be to stop going gripe for gripe, like If you have like an emotional complaint or, you know, something inside internally that you want to address, I don't then get to add my gripe to your gripe. We give your little baby gripe the attention that it needs. Yeah. And then I can I can address my gripes at a later date. Uh, I mean, I think that's interesting. I think that, yes, you do tend to do that. Like if I'm complaining about something at work. I did it on this podcast. You're like, I have a headache. And I'm like, well, you know, I also have a little bit of a headache. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I think I also do that. Maybe not as frequently as you do. Uh Um, And if you were to work on that, sure. I think that would be great. Uh, I will, I should also probably work on that too. Cause you know, don't, I do. don't steal my resolution. Oh, see, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> Matching your gripe. <laughs> going to bogart your gripe, bogart your resolution. I think we can leave it there for now. When we're discussing King and Walter's comic, let's try to build a marriage happiness plan for Virginia and Vision 
And in doing so, I'm sure our marriage resolutions will be percolating in the back of our minds. Yeah, sure. We should look for their little habits they may be falling into that may be taking away from their marriage happiness as individuals and therefore taking away from the overall happiness of their marriage. I think we should also point out moments where they seem to be trying to change their spouse's behavior Mm -hmm. as a means to increase their own happiness. Yeah, it happens. It happens quite a bit. But before we can do that, Lisa, we got to get into words of affirmation. Affirmations! This is the point in the program where we celebrate you, the listeners who have reached out and sent us some much needed words of affirmation to boost our spirits, either by joining our Patreon or writing us a really nice Apple podcast review or sending us a really cool tweet. And this week we do have a new Patreon member, Don Leibold. How you doing? Thank you, my friend, so much for supporting Comic Book Couples Counseling with your financial contribution. It's our patrons who make it feasible for us to produce this podcast. And as we do for all our patrons, after they sign up, we deliver them some encouraging words of affirmation here. It's a nice thought for contemplation as they go throughout their day. But even if you're not Don, if you like these words, you can use them as well. So what do we have for Don today? I have an affirmation adapted from a Gretchen Rubin quote. Hit it. Don Leibold. When you succeed and when you fail, you see every day as a clean slate and a fresh opportunity. I love that one because it does speak to what we were saying earlier on in this episode about failing, failing better. Uh, you know, like that that is at the root of Marvel Comics and certainly with the vision and this version of the vision. What I like about it is the idea of like when we have a failure, we tend to carry that failure into the next thing that we do. We yeah. enter our next thing with the it poisons us. with trepidation. But if we want to really have the habit of starting fresh and anew, we should probably practice it all of the time, yeah. regardless of whether we have succeeded or failed in the past. Yeah, it's so easy to stop because you failed once. You know, you got to let that memory go. Every day is a fresh start, as this affirmation says. And you can't stop yourself because you've succeeded in the past. Mm, Good point. That's why the clean slate idea is so important. Whether you have just succeeded or just failed, the new opportunity looks the same. Yeah, so thanks again, Don. Of course, we don't demand that all of you join our Patreon, and we know that not everyone can financially afford to do so right now. That's totally okay. But if you want, you can still support the podcast by contributing a rating and review on our Apple Podcast page. These things really do help CBCC grow and move up the charts and reach more listeners. Thank you so much. All righty then, Lisa. How do you like my Ace Ventura voice? Well, the notes say that it's your best Ace Ventura voice. <laughs> I, yeah, that is. That's my <laughs> so best. So I don't want to mess with your self-esteem, yeah. Sally. Yeah, that don't it was you totally dare. Okay. Don't you it dare. It was your best. Let's get on to our comic of the week, The Vision, issues 1 through 12, published by Marvel Comics between November of 2015 and October of 2016. The whole thing is written by Tom King and predominantly features the pencils and inks of Gabriel H. Walta, although issue seven, the Scarlet Witch issue, was fully illustrated by Michael Walsh. The book is colored by Jordi Belair and lettered by VC's Clayton Cowles. Here's the basic plot synopsis taken from Goodreads. Vision wants to be human, and what's more human than family? So he heads back to the beginning, to the laboratory where Ultron created him as a weapon, 
the place where he first rebelled against his given destiny and imagined that he could be more, that he could be a man. There he builds them, a wife, Virginia, teenage twins, Viv and Vin. They look like him. They have his powers. They share his grandest ambitions. Or is that obsession? The unrelenting need to be ordinary? Behold the visions. Theirs is a story of togetherness and tragedy, one that will send the android Avenger into a devastating confrontation with Earth's mightiest heroes. Lisa, how's that for a plot synopsis? I think it's pretty good. I think that whether his built family shares his same ambitions, I think that that is up for debate. Yeah, and we're going to get into it. Oh, yeah, we are. But I think the first thing we have to talk about when discussing this comic book is its overall tone and how it's set by the narration. It is so dreadful. It is very foreboding. And it is in this maroon color. Um, But at the end of this first volume which is the first six issues, we discovered that the narration is being done by Agatha Harkness to the Avengers, explaining to them that we need to do something about Vision because I've seen the future and he's going to raise the world. Yeah, so it's coming from a place of catastrophe. So the whole first half of this book is being told as if it's a tragedy. It's oppressive. It's oppressively sad narration. Yeah. But- We have to keep in mind that she is building a case towards a terrible future. So when you're looking back at the past and going, everything is going to lead to this one place, then everything takes on this greater meaning. I mean, it's tainted. Premonitiant meaning. Exactly. Where that's not how life is. Not everything that happens leads up to the present. The present is just like a a result of, yes, the past, but also a lot of chaos. I think it's also worth noting that the narrator, Agatha Harkness, is a very interesting character. She originated from Fantastic Four. She was a nanny for Franklin Richards. She was there when Mephisto was shattered by him. She then went on to help Wanda through the process of grieving over her Mephisto babies and their, uh, not disappearance, but their uh, reabsorption into Mephisto. And she became this teacher who not only like mentored Wanda's abilities and taught her how to be a proper witch, uh, but also was there to cater to her psychology. One thing that you told me off mic that I think is really interesting is that she is one of the witches from the original Salem Witch Trials. I would think that she would be kind of sensitive (laughs) about demonizing the visions considering her past. Granted, it was many, many years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Decades. And and she's dead now. That's also worth pointing out. Oh, yeah. She's also a ghost. Yeah, she's a ghost. (laughs) So it's, it's just such a unique headspace to set the vision story in. And so in the first few pages of this comic, where we're being introduced to the vision's suburbs of Arlington, Virginia, and how he wants to um, act like any Arlington family would act, uh, 
the the catastrophe starts to pepper in pretty darn early, and we learn that the next door neighbors who present a tray of cookies and are skeptical and a little scared of their android neighbors, but they want to reach out. Well, Nick and Nora, they're going to burn in a fire. It's George and Nora. Oh, Nick and Nora. Nick and Nora is the thin man. George <laughs> and Nora are going to burn in a fire uh, at the hands of one of the visions, and we know that that vision is Vin. There is a line used in the first two pages that comes back at the end of these 12 issues that I think we should touch on. And it is, they made compromises that are necessary to raise a family. Mm. And this line, when it's first used, is not used in reference to the visions, but, but the in, neighbors. Yeah, everybody else who lives in Arlington, Virginia. So we live in also a suburb of... Washington, D.C. Lisa's like, I don't want to give you the exact address. Because Reston, Virginia is very small. And what if you want to murder us? <laughs> um, but uh, we know these families who work in Washington, D.C. and very much consider themselves city people. But now that they have kids that are doing soccer on the weekends or whatever, they are against their very well suburbs people. And though they have every in intention of going into Washington, D.C. and seeing the movies and... Movies, that's just us. Seeing the museums and stuff <laughs> like that. Like, they they had to compromise that identity and because they Tom King have is this family. Like, oh, yeah, that's he true. is in this town. He is in Arlington. He lives there. That like the story of the vision, a lot of that is the story of Tom King. Yeah, he's local. It's clear that he's local by this introduction. I mean, he was outside the Capitol during the insurrection. He took some really great videos and photos. Thanks, Tom King. He was not with the insurrection, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> History is being made right now. Oh, my God. Okay. While giving George and Nora the tour, they feature, the visions feature three objects yeah. that end up being the objects of their ruination. No, that's true. Yeah. So the first one is the stringless piano from Black Panther, where it's clearly, it's from Wakanda. It's made of vibranium. Then there is the Silver Surfer's floating vase from Zen La, which is a, a, a tremendous metaphor and also an object of ruination. And then the last one is Captain America's lighter that lit the map on D-Day, which is also made of vibranium. When Agatha Harkness is talking about or premonitioning the death of George and Nora, she talks about how in his last moments of life, George thought of his love of Nora, but Nora thought about the Zen Law vase. Yeah. So the metaphor of the Zen Law vase is the object itself is a vase, so it, it's presumed to be a vessel that holds something, but... It cannot hold anything because they're, what makes it float, what makes it beautiful, is poisonous to organic things. Yeah, so it is a deadly empty vase. Hmm. Like an android, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So it's, so this vase comes up again and again. Nora, in her last moments of life, according to Agatha Harkness, didn't think about her, the love of her husband, but instead thought about that vase. And it's that idea of we are fascinated by the android, but we're also terrified of the android. And it makes us wonder, like, is the beauty of the vase worth the terrible things that it can potentially cause? 
the last text of this issue is about this vase and how it is poisonous to all known species of flowers. And then the text is, the mystery is not then why are they empty, but why would anyone make such a vase? And the last image is an image of Virginia. And we know that Virginia uses the vase to end her life. Yeah, that question of creation beats at the very center of this book. Why would the vision build his family? Why would Ultron build the vision? Why would Hank Pym build Ultron? Um, and I think ultimately it's uh, the answer is all the same. You know, like we attempt to create because we're lonely and we're finite. And we imagined it. Like humanity thinks of terrible things all of the time and then makes them manifest. Think about you know, hydrogen bombs. Like somebody thought about it and they're like, oh, now I can't not make it. You can't unthink it. it. You can't unmake it. It's our terrible imaginations. And so you look at the bedroom scene in the center of this first issue, which is fascinating for a variety of reasons. One being that Vision and Virginia don't share a bed. They have separate beds. They have sitcom (laughs) beds. And we learn in that conversation, or not conversation, in Agatha's narration that the Vision has used Wanda's brainwaves to build Virginia. And so as the Vision is sort of this copy of Wonder Man, Virginia is a kind of copy of Wanda, the wife he no longer has. There is also this weird power dynamic between Vision and Virginia as a married couple because she is not just his wife. Mm. She is also his creation. And upon her waking up, he does say like, you are your own person. You have free will. You get to make your own choices. But if you want, you can marry me and we can fulfill this vision that I have and take it on as your vision that we be a human-like family. And that big question of, you know, what is our programming? Do we adhere to it? Leads to the introduction of the Grim Reaper in the final pages of this comic. The Grim Reaper, who is the brother of Wonder Man and who is attacking the Vision's family because they are imposters. They did not come upon their lives honestly, their brainwaves honestly. And his attack ignites a fury inside Virginia to protect her children. She murders his ass. Not only does she murder his ass, she continues bashing him on the head with George and Nora's cookie tray Yeah, until he is past demolished And Vin is horrified. Yeah. But we find out as we're reading that she's carrying a tremendous amount of guilt for carrying around Wanda's memories. And, like, it's not Vision's fault that he was given Wonder Man's brainwaves. Ultron did that. And it's not Virginia's fault that Vision put... Wanda's brainwaves into her brain, but it creates all of this complication. It creates doubt. Like, who am I? What am I? And am I real? Am I, period. Yeah, so that idea of realness, what is realness, is a real 
<laughs> sticking point for the visions and for clearly the authors of this comic. Well, that question of realness is like the ultimate question. That's why we have religion, right? How are we here? Why are we here? And it's also a poisonous doubt. And we see how that question, when you obsess over it, uh, infects and deteriorates a human being or an android. So Grim Reaper, he attacks. In the process, he takes out Viv. Uh, she is impaled. She her, she has her guts ripped out. She can't go to school. She has to be operated on. But Vin can go to school. So Vin goes to school. He's in the cafeteria. He's trying to enjoy staring at food he cannot eat. And Viv's partner, her lab partner, CK, comes up to him and starts pestering him and asking questions. And it ignites all this frustration in him. And he lashes out and nearly kills CK in the lunchroom, which causes the principal to say, hey, I need to talk to Mr. and Mrs. Vision. And Principal Waxman has been waiting for this moment because he didn't want those kids at his school in the first place because he he clearly has an anti-android, synthesoid mentality. And he likens Vin and Viv to guns, yeah, right? It's a yeah, like it's if a, a kid brought a gun to school... Like, I would expel that kid. Well, your kids have the capability, a even greater capability of destruction than a gun, and yet they get to come into my school. But this, of course, offends Vision, and he starts getting this sense of righteousness. And it comes down to, like, he says, like, guess what? I am the vision. I'm not just any person. I am the vision. I have I have saved this planet 37 times. You are alive yeah. because of me 37 times over. Therefore, if I say that my kids get to be in this school, my kids get to be at this school. And I think that this is the sparking moment. This is the ignition of a sense of entitlement that he carries into killing the Avengers at the end of this story. I mean, that is absolutely true. And it speaks to how a thought can be perverted. But in the moment, you totally are on the vision side. You know, he does like the, the argument of your kids are guns. You can actually extend that to every child on this planet. Every teenager is a gun. It, whether they have a gun or not on them. It's the will or the desire to take a life. So when the principal unleashes this bigotry, because he simply fears the other, he mm -hmm. simply fears these pink people in front of him, these robot people. Um, when he invokes that, you, I mean, I, like you can kind of see his point too. You can understand his fear. I mean, CK did just nearly get choked out in the cafeteria by this robot kid. At the same time, you're alive. Everyone is alive because of the vision and because of characters like the vision. And you should respect that power and that story. However, when we get to the end of the book, as you're saying, the vision uses his 37 saves of the earth as an excuse to possibly enact a greater evil. Yeah, he's going, you owe me. Yeah. You owe me what everybody else has, a family, a suburban life. Like, you owe me that. But if I don't get that, I'm going to 
raise the world. And what this book beautifully does is put you into the mindsets of all these characters. And at one point you're like, yeah, oh yeah. And then you do enough, oh yeah, I'm with this guy until you go, oh no, what have I just become complicit to as a reader? Vision often likens the difference between a robot, like a slave, and a human is the capability of acting on something absurd. And there's a line from the first issue that Vision says to Virginia when she uses the word kind instead of nice, is the pursuit of an unobtainable purpose by absurd means is the way of freedom. This is my vision of the future of our future. So in that particular conversation, uh, he's encouraging Virginia to mirror what humanity does. Even if you mean kind, say nice, because nice is the less meaningful word. (laughs) uh But in doing these mirroring habits, they are um, adopting the whims of humanity and then ultimately mirroring the ultimate evils of humanity. So I'm saying at the end of this book, Vision goes to the Avengers and starts killing them so that he can have his family that he feels entitled to. So the pursuit of an unobtainable purpose, right? The perfect family by absurd means, as in killing all of the Avengers is the way to freedom, which is the way to humanity. Yeah. If he can look like any family on this street, he will be human. And so anything that threats this uh, replication is a threat to his dream, his humanity. That he's entitled to, because he saved the world 37 times. If you, if you haven't heard, he yeah. 37 times is the number he's come to. And in this instance, in the principal's office, the 37 times argument wins. Vin and Viv yeah. go back to that school. Yeah, well, and also though, that principal is haunted forever by that conversation. Mm-hmm. Flying home, Virginia tells... Vision, I love you. And Vision replies, I love you too. And I think that they both fully mean it in that moment because Virginia has seen, just like I was willing to do terrible things to protect my family, right? Killing the Grim Reaper, which is actually kind of a secret from her husband. She's told him that he's absconded. Yeah, but this conversation validates her action. Yes, And he replies, I love you too, because he's seen that he can get heated and irrational when his family, including Virginia, is threatened. That's got to be love. And this is also the cliche moment where one person observes the strength of their partner and gets turned on by it. Mm Mm-hmm. That moment of true love is followed by a moment of bliss because soon after Vision receives a message that he's going to be able to save Viv. And because of that, Virginia is on cloud nine. She is so relieved. But then of course she receives a package with an iPhone 
that has a video of her burying the Grim Reaper. Yeah, and so after that moment with the principal where Virginia and Vision are united for a split second, immediately she is now back to hiding things and having to cover up. This message is actually from CK's father, and she has to keep all this on the down low. She wants to go and meet with CK's father, and in doing so, starts to chain reaction that leads to CK killing his own son because he pulls a gun on her. She phases, he fires, bullet goes through her body and into the head of CK, killing Viv's, not boyfriend. But crush. But crush. And like that moment, right? Like if we go back to the high school where CK and Viv are sharing this very sweet high schooly sequence where CK tells her that other people think you're weird, but I think you're pretty cool. And that just goes to highlight that Vin and uh, Viv's mission might not actually be the mission of their father, right? Virginia desperately wants to uh, achieve the vision's mission because she wants to achieve the vision's love. But Vin and Viv they like flying. They like phasing. They like being synthesoids. I think Viv more than Vin. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that actually relates back to their two very starkly different interactions with CK. Because CK, when yeah. he was talking <laughs> to Vin, he wasn't like, I think synthesoids are cool. And can I get your sister's phone number? He says... Uh, that should I, uh, he asks, should I send uh, messages directly to your metal a hole? Like that's not like so. Vin goes on this path of like, I'm different. I'm a freak. I become obsessed with Shakespeare. If you prick me, do I bleed? And Virginia goes like, I'm a unique individual. And I don't really need to ride the bus to school, you and know? And it all stems from CK's interaction with her. Like, her change starts in that conversation. She goes like, yeah, I'm so special. I don't need an umbrella. The rain goes right through me. Everything goes right through I'm me. I'm cool. I wonder if CK has some residual guilt over what he said to Vin, mm. which is why he is so kind to Viv. I mean, yeah, that's how I read that scene. You know, he has changed dramatically since he healed from his interaction with Vin. Um, but it's, you know, it's all for naught because he's killed by his father. And it really doesn't make a difference to Virginia because she has created this narrative where there is a human who likes her for her. Yeah, but when she learns that CK has died, I mean, that enrages her. Especially because he died because of her mom. Yeah. Which is why Wanda is the narrator for the, the mystery narrator for the second volume, because she's trying to contextualize her mother's actions for Viv, so Viv doesn't hate her. Yeah, yeah. Her mother's actions, which are based on her on Wanda's thought patterns. Which could be a pretty strong impulse for why Wanda wants to contextualize, because she's kind of Viv's mom. Yeah, and this book is secretly a relationship book about the Vision and the Scarlet Witch. That was an explosion sound. My Foley art is about as good as yours. But... 
is it also like, you know, like <laughs> I can say that, yes, it is, you know, because of those thought patterns are being used. Wanda is stamped somewhere on Virginia, just like Wonder Man is stamped somewhere on the vision. But it's what they do with those thought patterns. It's how those thought patterns mutate in these bodies, in these actions. So, you know, like I bounce back and forth of who is vision, who is Wonder Man, and also does that question matter? Vision creates Virginia so that he can have a relationship like he had a relationship with Wanda. But Virginia is entirely an individual yeah, sure. reacting yes. retroactively to memories that she shouldn't, she feels guilty like she shouldn't have access to yeah. in the first place. And so the answer to the question is not what the comic is about. It's about just having the question. It's the back and forth of, of the, of what the answer could be. That's why this book is so damn exciting. Mm -hmm. It's about this time that our narrator brings in the P versus NP problem where a P problem is a problem that can be solved by a computer algorithm versus an NP problem, a problem that cannot be uh, solved in polynomial time. It can't be solved by a computer algorithm, thereby justifying the continued existence of humanity. Humanity needs to continue to, to exist to solve these problems that, that cannot be solved by computers. And so their representation of the P versus NP problem is Sparky, the dog. <laughs> like, um, the neighbor's dog, Georgia Norris' dog, accidentally gets killed um, by the Vision family. Well, right? he's gnawing on the bone of the Grim Reaper, or oh, yeah. actually the, the Grim Reaper's sickle, yeah. electronic sickle. Yeah, yeah. In and in doing so, he accidentally chomps his little puppy jaws Ooh. on a weapon, and he gets zapped. It's the gnarliest splash page of the comic. <laughs> so Vision sees that. He sees, okay, well... The, the Grim Reaper is in my backyard. That is going to be a problem. But he also goes like, well, my family doesn't have a dog. There <laughs> is a dog brain right here. I can solve the my family not having a dog by just using this dog's brain, not thinking about the ethical ramifications, the NP problem of this dog is actually an individual and somebody else's dog. And you probably, if there's, there is something as a human being, I go, there's something wrong with him using the neighbor's dog, dog's brain to make their own dog. There is something in the vision that doesn't see the NP problem. Yeah, like Ultron didn't see a problem using Wonder Man's brain patterns, who was dead at the time. But Wanda, at least, consented to giving her brain patterns to the vision to build Virginia. And so he is behaving like Ultron. <laughs> but Wanda is also kind of acting like Ultron because she goes like, well, Wonder Man is was dead when I fell in love with you and fell in love with your brainwaves, but now Wonder Man is alive. And so I can kind of have a relationship with your brain that's not you. So I guess you can also have a relationship with my brain that is not me, which is why right. she gifts yeah. him this gem that becomes the gem that is in Virginia's head with her brainwaves on so it. So we're now at issue seven, which is the issue illustrated by Michael Walsh. And it is the issue that underscores all the agony and pain motivating the vision in to create his family. 
But also his hypocrisy when he met the family that Wanda created using her hex powers. Yeah. And him going like, oh, well, you created these two children for us, but these two children are in fact not real. The Avengers have discovered that they are pieces of Mephisto's soul, right? And they go like, ah, this is their existence is turning out to be pretty problematic. Vision, <laughs> would you mind going to her and having a heart with her, heart to heart with her, confronting her that in fact her children are not real? And later, the Avengers are going to come to Vision and go like, guess what? Your children are turning out to be pretty problematic, as is the rest of the family. So we have to deal with whatever this problem is, and he flies into a rage. He felt entitled to his rage because he saved the world 37 times. Perhaps in that moment of hurt, Scarlet Witch was also entitled to her rage. Yeah, I think for sure. I think for sure. And guess what? They both did terrible things with their rage. Scarlet Witch made all mutants go away. Yeah. Vision attempted to make all humanity go away. All's fair in love and war. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. Uh, Scarlet Witch did not have a Virginia to save her bacon. That's right. It's Virginia's free will gifted to her by Vision that short circuits this repeat of history. Vision was programmed by Ultron to destroy the Avengers. And despite his every effort, the vision goes to destroy the Avengers. Yeah, like, yeah, like he's carrying out the mission right now in this 12 issue arc. Despite a bunch of actions that look to him and to us, the reader, like free will. But, but vision created Virginia with free will. Mm. And so, it's because of that free will that she's able to stop, in this case, Vision from raising the world and destroying the Avengers. So the question being, is the cycle truly broken? Will the Vision ever fulfill the programming of Ultron? Uh, or has Virginia saved saved the Avengers? Well, uh, to skip to the end of the comic, we do see him building another wife. Right. Is he going to build this wife with free will? I don't know. It didn't work out so great the first time. But before we can get to that ending, before we can wrap this up, Lisa, we do have to talk about another child of Ultron that is introduced in issue eight. That's Victor, uh, the son of Ultron, the half-brother to the Vision who also was programmed to raise the world. And his entire existence, like Vision, is trying to not become the evil version of himself, trying not to become victorious. Yeah, and the Avengers use him to infiltrate the Vision family, spy and figure out what they're up to and possibly stop them. And guess what? It is Vin who walks in accidentally or phases through and discovers that Victor is in conversation with the Avengers and in Victor's freak out uh, of being discovered, he kills Vin. He kills Vin using one of the objects of ruination. He used the vibranium from the, the Black Panther's piano. On my second reading, these two issues, eight and nine, that are around Victor and his betrayal became 
so visceral mm. to me mm. because he witnessed moments with each family member that were so tremendously intimate that they couldn't have them between each other. So with Virginia, they have this moment at that piano where she says like, I've downloaded all of the notes and I have the capability to play this piano perfectly, but in doing so, have I just become the piano? Am I, She's asking the question, am I an object? And then we also have the moment where he takes Viv to see CK's grave and she, against his oh, advice, brutal, lowers herself in to see yeah. his rot to see her crush's rotting corpse, uh, which is something as a synthesoid she'll never have. She'll never have a rotting corpse. Yeah, but and she immediately regrets doing it. And he's like, I told you, because he's probably done something very similar. When he comes to do this internship in DC, he is so special to the Vision family because he can relate to them unlike anybody else they know, and yet he is not them. So they can say the things to Victor that they fear would hurt each other. So when he... Uh, reports everything that he's <sighs> learned back to the Avengers. It's like to the reader, it's a real huge betrayal, gut punch. And to Vin, it is a disruption of his ability to compute. And I think that Victor also feels this tremendous guilt. And he has had this kind of addictive relationship with vibranium. So he's sucked up, just like he sucked up more information than he can like deal with, he sucked up more power than he can deal with, and he kills Vin. Now, in his last moments, he is trying to prevent Vision from killing Victor, to from killing Victor. And when Vision kills him, he is relieved. He's like, there, I've done it. I've made it to the finish line. I've died without becoming victorious. But in killing Vin- He becomes victorious. Exactly. He sets up the um, circumstances that will eventually raise the world but which we've already discussed, gets stopped at least temporarily. By Virginia. By Virginia. So he, so he feels like he's acting in free will, but is he? Is he the player or is he the piano? And the player piano is a classic um, metaphor for artificial intelligence. So Tom King, golf clap, golf clap. <laughs> or is Tom King just another fan of Westworld? <laughs> well, I mean, there is a reason why it's the perfect metaphor. Because when you watch a great, performance on the piano, you're half watching a person yeah. in awe because they are not making mistakes. And it's so astounding to us that humanity can do something so beautiful, so complicated, and so correct. Also in issue nine, we have Virginia sensing that something is wrong with Vin and like having that motherly instinct and then having that motherly instinct utterly dismissed yeah. by Viv and Vision while we are seeing yeah. Vin crying out in pain for his mother. Yeah. So that, uh that gets me. I mean, I mean, it's an absolutely crushing 
comic in a series of crushing comics. We learn at the start of issue 10 that after the events of Vin's death, the Vision and his family have been placed under house arrest. A giant force field is keeping them separated from the rest of the world. And Vision is holding the second object of ruination. He's holding Cap's lighter and he's telling Virginia like, I've run every philosophical and religious tradition through my mind to figure out, like, it feels wrong that my son is dead and Victor is alive. So he's trying to take this NP problem. Yeah. And solve and, it. <laughs> and turn it into a P problem. And he can't. Yeah. And he begins to stammer where Virginia has been stammering for several issues now. But we can see, like, he can't come up with a solution for this problem. And he then says, I am the vision of the Avengers. I saved the world 37 times. And Virginia replies, I know, no, no. No. So this is that seed of entitlement that was planted right. in the principal's office is now playing out. The world owes me my American dream. Yeah, and, you, and you've ruined it, so now I'm going to get my revenge. And he takes that lighter, and he uses it because it's made of vibranium to penetrate Tony Stark's force field. And he's coming, Tony. He's coming, Avengers. You're doomed. And as a longtime reader of Avengers comics and vision stories... You get to this point in this miniseries and you go, how does this character continue to operate within the Marvel Universe after making a choice like this? It's I mean, this is I mean, he is now graduated to the end game of Ultron's programming and boom, we're back with Virginia. Here we go. Throughout this comic, we've seen Virginia kind of sp- Spiral out of her sanity, spiral deeper and deeper into the tragedy. We find out around this point that she has been going through Wanda's memories and seeing like, oh man, a lot of these memories make me cry. Yeah, and you got to remember, Wanda snapped also. She did. So is she repeating Wanda's snap? But she, along with her stammering, she's also had this fascination and kind of obsession with the song row 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 your boat with the line life is but a dream it is an illusion and um so we really don't know what she's going to do but then at that moment when vision is going to tear victor's heart out virginia phases in and pulls out Victor's heart beats him to the punch first and the narrator who is Scarlet Witch at this point says we each have a destiny a code embedded by our creators and as we move forward we follow this code because it is comfortable safe easy nice kind good but always remember my darling Viv oh this is she's speaking to Viv to Viv um your father fought this code and saved the world. Not true. Yeah, yeah. Your uncle fought this code and saved himself. Not true. And your mother fought this code 
and saved you. But I think she, in fact, followed her code because her code was embedded by her incestuous creator husband situation who created her to be uh, a person of free will based on the brainwaves of his former lover. And to be a caretaker. Like, so she fulfills that mission, that programming. Protecting her husband, protecting her daughter, protecting the memory of her son. But what does Wanda as narrator mean when she is saying this? Like, when she's saying everyone has a code embedded in themselves, like, what does that mean for Brad and I? What is the code that is embedded in ourselves? Like, what is Wanda talking about there? I mean, to me, what she's saying is that we all are beholden to our genetics and our rearing, right? Like, I'm me because of the genes of my parents that live in me and the way that they've raised me. I think that what she's saying is to continue to exist and have a content existence, you have to believe that you are living with free will and that you have autonomy over your life. But if we are not unlike the synthesoids in this comic, despite what we may believe, we are all ultimately just going to carry out the fate of our creators and life is but a dream. Our free will is just an illusion. Goddamn, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) Not my fault. That's Tom King's fault. I mean, it is like Jesus Christ so damn sad at the end. Virginia confesses to the detective that she did all the crimes. uh, And then after doing so. Not confesses. She lies. She creates a narrative that that protects her family. And in doing so, she then uh, drinks from the vase. She drinks the vase of Zen Law killing herself. And over her death returns the text from the beginning of the book describing Arlington, Virginia and bringing back that line, they made the compromises that are necessary to raise a family. And as she's dying and resting her head on her husband's shoulders, she says like, you've saved the world 37 times and I got to save it one time, and it was nice. And Vision corrects her. I'm sorry, I'm crying. (laughs) Vision corrects her. It was kind. It was kind of you to save the world. And she laughs at him, correcting her. And her dying words are like trailing off of, why do you always have to correct me? Uh, And that, yeah, I mean. And so the last panels of this comic is Scarlet Witch explaining like, Viv, I'm telling you this so that you can continue to love your mother despite her actions. And Viv goes like, I don't understand. Like parents um, create children and then sacrifice themselves for the children who then create children and sacrifice themselves for their children. And she comes to a conclusion that Vision made at the beginning of the first volume that she explains to, that that Vision explains to Virginia in the nice versus kind debate, like if every parent 
sacrifices themselves for their children, then life becomes the pursuit of an unobtainable purpose by absurd means. So she comes to the same conclusion as vision, and therefore she is now human. Yeah, but she does also want to embrace her synthesoidness mm-hmm. going forward. You know, she will fly to school. She will not hide what she is. She is what she is. She is what she is with humanity. Wh- whatever that um relationship. Uh, re- like the word humanity if you could take out human. She is a synthesoid with a deep sense of humanity. Yeah, I get the impression that she's fulfilling the dream that the Vision always wanted to fulfill because at the end of this comic, when it's revealed that he is building another person, another robot, another wife, whatever, I don't, like, has there been growth for him? Will he succeed in his dream? Or is or is his success already happened in, 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 in Vin? Like, how do you read that ending? I don't think that humanity is, like, having a deep sense of humanity excludes destroying the world. Like his unobtainable objective is being uh, a human, being fully human. His absurd means is creating this family. But like he did it, he succeeded. There was loss. He lost Vin, he lost Virginia, but he still has Viv. So why try to do another one? It doesn't make sense, but that's the point. Uh, It brings back to mind another quote uh, that he told Virginia. To assert as truth that which has no meaning is the core mission of humanity. So he's doing something that is true to him, you know, because it's true. And so, like, I leave this book just emotionally devastated um, and not fearful for the future, but... I mean, I certainly, I, I certainly question, like, how do you go on with the Vision character after the events of this comic in the, you know, the way that they do? Like, he's part of the all new, all different Avengers. Like, like, uh, how, how can I look at that character in that comic without the context of this comic? I can't. <laughs> Clearly, the Avengers have a greater depth of compassion as a whole, <laughs> like where they're like, you know. We all have these extraordinary abilities and, you know, he was just... Like, for me, (laughs) I get done with this comic and I go, whoa, this is the final statement on the vision. His story should end here. No other writer touched this character. You can't top this. It's like, um, there's like this unwritten rule in comic books where you go like, well, if it's relatable, if the problems that vision is having is relatable, it's forgivable, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe it's more like, if we want to continue to play with this action figure, then it's forgivable. Uh, yes, I think like that's the reality of it. We got action figures to sell. We've got comics <laughs> to sell. We got to find a way to forgive this dude. Let's keep this player on the board. But that forgiveness might have to come from another writer who's not Tom King, you know? Yeah. But now we got to bring this back to the happiness project and Gretchen Rubin. Like, what kind of resolutions could Vision and Virginia have made so that this relationship had not ended so tragically? It all seems so moot now with our whole thing of, like, life is but a dream. It's all programming anyway. And we're just swimming upstream. (laughs) 
But I do have um, one resolution for vision and a plan of action and one resolution for Virginia. For vision, to have more happiness in his marriage, I think that perhaps he should not sit at the head of the table so much. Mm. With his wife, he oftentimes has to balance this wife-partner-lover relationship with being her creator. And I think that as her creator, he has this sense of mentorship, where in a relationship, you really should be peers. So... Um, the way I presented the idea is like, don't sit at the head of the table so much. I think for family discussions, for their like evening non-dinner conversation, he should encourage Virginia uh, to sit with him on the same side of the table and have Vin and Viv sit at the two ends. So it feels more like, just posture-wise, it's going to feel more like, okay, we are the parents and we are discussing things with you. They'll feel more like a united force. And then also he should try to restate his corrections and in less of a, this is the right way to do things, but rather, hey, this is another way to do things and give her room to, um, you know, consider it and go like, is this something that I want to adopt or not? And then I think the last thing he might want to consider is um, making amendments to the vision that he had uh-huh. when he flipped her switch, not sexually, but, you know, like turned her on. Um, when he programmed her, he presented, uh, this, is, this is what I see for us, this family life. Perhaps they should come up with a new unified vision with now her new perspective. Uh, yeah, I say, okay, so I totally agree with that. My idea of what the vision's resolution should be is to remove the I out of a lot of his thought process, mm, right? Yes. Because he creates this family because he wants to be more human. And in creating this family, he gets one step closer to being more human. And so while that is his end goal, once the family is created, he needs to be a member of that family. Like they are not working for him. They are not, they should not be working for his end goal. So I feel like he needs to take the eye out. The other big resolution is they got to push those beds together. Yeah. They got like, they got to be a couple. They got to sleep in the same bed. That's kind of a modern idea where like separate beds are for sleeping. And if you want to do some baby making, there is, I think (laughs) a kind of, really sexy level of seduction of like, let's get on one bed. Uh, okay. I like and pushing them together. That's, that's how the Brady Bunch did it. They did. <laughs> they did. And you really did get the sense that the Brady's did it. Mr. And Mrs. Brady, they were into each other. Yeah. And they never produced any more kids, right? Like cousin Oliver came aboard, but no more children from just those two. But yeah, they had the eyes for each other. They were super modern. They were doing some family planning. For Virginia, I think her resolution should be to not wait until her emotions are at the level of alarm to bring them to the fore. And for that to work, I think her plan should be to present her concerns when they first arrive, paired with a plan of action. And a great way to start would just be presenting her concerns with, would you help me? I have a feeling that this, 
like um, with her situation where she had made an appointment and Vision, without thinking about it, scheduled something over her appointment since she was a housewife and her appointment was clearly not as important as the visions of the Avengers. Of course, her appointment was to cover up the murder that she did. Yeah. He didn't know that. Um, so, but she had been checking their Google calendar aggressively and she had built a case. She's like, you've checked this. I've seen that you've checked this schedule three times and you still haven't moved your appointment. So that means, like, when she checked the first time, she sort of said, hey, would you help me? I see that we have conflicting appointments. And then she wouldn't, it would help regulate her emotion a little bit better. And I'm just using that as, a, as an example because then they tend to dismiss her at other times because mm-hmm. she only asks for help when she's alarmed. I think she should also avoid building a case before expressing hurt feelings. Hurt feelings can happen for no reason. They can happen for a small reason. But if every time you have an emotion, you pair it with an accusation, you're not going to get the comfort that I think just saying, hey, I'm having a feeling. Would you help me with this feeling? Yeah. I mean, like for me, like when we talk about the resolutions that – Virginia should be adopting. We have to remember that she's also new to life, right? And so when she finally learns, when she acts, uh, when she contradicts the vision, she can promote positive change. I mean, in a way, she does promote positive change for the vision and her family unit. Like, if she had been born with that knowledge of that possibility, things would be way different. So like my resolution for Virginia would be to speak up when you are feeling this hurt, when you're feeling this pain, when you're feeling whatever, when you have an idea, like you, it's time to like push your thoughts to the forefront and stop playing second fiddle to the vision. At the same time, she was born yesterday. But I think that a lot of mothers would identify with this idea of, I have to be the one who's holding this all together. I have to be the one to support my husband. I have to be the rock for my child. But then who's there to support the mom? Yeah. And uh, we could blame that on Vision and go like, well, Vision was building the suburban idea of a mom. And the suburban idea of a mom, sorry, mom, is a martyr. Right? Who who does who takes sacrifice yeah. herself for her children. But- In doing so, she undermines her own happiness, which does, like, when you undermine your own happiness, you are undermining the happiness of your marriage and and your family. And if she had maybe confronted the vision earlier, Vin would be around still, right? Oh, man, that's a lot to put on her. well, Well, I think all of this is a lot to put on her because, again, she was created days ago, weeks ago. But we don't want to say that anyone listening to this no, who, no, 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 who, no, no. who needs to work on expressing their emotions, well, right. it's just like, well, I, you're acting like you were born I'm just yesterday. saying that I also don't want to put a ton of judgment on the people who love this character, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think that um, uh, impulse to put others before yourself is not heroic. But that kind of hero- heroism comes at a cost. So I think that she can pick and choose when she puts others before herself. 
But what about us? Did you see anything in Virginia and Vision's relationship that would have us giving our marriage a little tune-up, so to speak? I mean, it's hard not to relate to the Vision and his mission, right? And to have a mission mindset. And I do think that mission mindsets uh, in some arenas are important. You need goals, all that jazz. But when you impose a mission upon your spouse, mm. that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> or to assume you know what's best for your spouse or even what your spouse is thinking. Like when you find that impulse, you should halt that immediately. Okay, I've got one. Ask me the question. Okay, Lisa, did you see anything in Virginia and Vision's relationship that would have us giving our marriage a little tune-up, so to speak? Lots of lubrication, obviously. Gross. That's <laughs> super disgusting. Okay, no, seriously. Um, mine is so weirdly specific, but we've, between us, we've come up with sharing Google calendars, sharing wish lists, sharing notes in the notes app, but nothing, none of that kind of structure is a substitution for having regular check-ins with what's the actual plan. For as yeah. many times as I've been like, you know, put it on the shopping list or yeah. whatever, like nothing is a substitution for like, hey, we need to talk about what our schedules so are going to be like. So we've started doing business meetings on Mondays mm -hmm. to discuss the podcast. Yeah, and and what our plan is for the day. And we've done that for two weeks, and so far, so good. Yeah, it's working great. Actually talking to each other, imagine. Finishing Tom King and Gabriel Walter's The Vision and having this conversation is certainly such a unique headspace to occupy before the launch of WandaVision this Friday on Disney+. Plus. Um, that show is clearly dealing with a lot of the themes that this comic is dealing with. The Scarlet Witch is suffering from the loss of the vision, and now she has somehow magically brought the vision back into reality. She's suffering a similar pain the way that our Wanda has been suffering that pain, the way that the Vision has been suffering that pain. And so I have hope that Wanda Vision is a show that will take us to places where those two characters can heal and move forward, where I just don't see that as a possibility within the comic books. That being said, I don't think that WandaVision is going to be like this walk in the park. No. <laughs> Let's da dance through the daisies. Like literally with one huge exception, bringing someone back from the dead has never really worked out really great. Yeah. The one exception, of course, being Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a pet cemetery brewing on one division, it looks like. Maybe. I don't know. I, I'm getting my tear ducts ready. Yeah. I have a feeling it's going to be sad. Well, we actually just got the screeners for the first three episodes, and we're going to watch those real soon. And we're going to be doing a recap of the first episode, certainly on our Patreon feed. And I'm excited to watch it. I'm excited to get sad with you, Lisa. Yeah, let's do it.
So next week on our main feed, we're having another creator corner. Yeah. Mark Makes Comics is returning to talk about his strip, Spoo Kids, as well as Magnum P.I. I'm also excited with this second interview to get a little real and get into what he has learned from, uh, about life from being an artist, because those conversations is just where it's at for me. Yeah, yeah. And then the week after that, we're going to go into February with our ex-couple month. We're going to be talking about Richter and Shatterstar as seen in the miniseries Shatterstar, written by Tim Seeley and penciled by Carlos Villa and Gerardo Sandoval. When we get done with that episode, we're going to cover Storm. And no, not Forge. No, not Wolverine. Uh Uh-uh. We're talking Storm and Callisto. Who we cover in our final two X-Men episodes, we don't know. We're still working out the details over in our Patreon Slack channel. Of course, we're accepting any uh, suggestions over at CBCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Okay, sweetheart, it's time to take our robot dog Sparky for a fly around the park. Woof, woof. Uh, so where should our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have some words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, send them over to at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you this week? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and iTunes. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you want to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email this podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com, and you can visit our website, www.comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on iTunes, or should we say Apple Podcast? Whatever. And if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. And until next time, folks, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Also, we're guesting on the next episode of Pod Wars. Oh, yeah. And we're talking... Buckle up. It's a long one. I'm ready. The happiness... You said... (laughs) I started saying it when you said I'm ready. There was a little crosstalk. I know. I'm sorry. What's up with that? That's my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Stop recording. (laughs)